This is the Exit Club Podcast, powered by Fratsky Media. I'm Laura Rich. I sold my business in 2017 and discovered that the entrepreneur journey doesn't end when the deal is signed. What comes next is largely left out of the entrepreneur narrative. You might think it's all unicorns and rainbows, but in reality, it can be a challenging period of recovery, reinvention, and a whole lot of unexpected hiccups. Today, I'm passionate about helping people who have sold their businesses and people who are thinking about selling their businesses set a plan for a good life after the sale. I draw on my experience as a business owner and a business journalist to speak with some of the most successful entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of their own post-exit experiences. My guest on this episode of the Exit Club podcast is John Georges, the former founder of Banjo Billy's Bus Tours, a local tourism company in Colorado. John launched Banjo in 2005 grew it into a fixture in the Boulder, Denver area, and sold it in 2015 to an employee. He was ready to go, but surprised by what he found on the other side. Attempts to launch new businesses failed, and even finding a job proved extremely challenging. He shared these experiences, as well as how he got to a place of satisfaction. Hey, John, great to have you on the show. Let's start off by telling us a bit about your business. I started up a Banjo Billy's Bus Tours in Boulder, Colorado in 2005. Uh, we expanded to Denver in 2008. I exited in 2015 as I sold it to an employee that had been with me since 2007. I sold it uh, in 2015 because in 2014 I realized I could not do it anymore. I did not want to do it anymore, and I wanted a different chapter. So at that point, I thought I either need to find a different career or do this for the rest of my life. And doing it for the rest of my life did not seem like a valuable, uh, a viable option. Banjo Billy's Bus Tours was a history tour of both Denver and Boulder. There were 90-minute tours. We would do about 1,000 tours a year between Denver and Boulder. We, would have, we had 13 employees. Um, we ran mostly in the summertime, so our summertime was big. We also did a lot of private tours for corporate events, um, and that was about half of our revenue. So you're not really um, capturing the spirit of it. I mean, your tours were an old school bus that you had converted, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. It was different. So um, when I started when I started up Banjo Billies, um, I realized that there was a gap in the marketplace. A lot of the tours out there, the history tours, were in coaches, motor coaches you drove around, and somebody told you the history of which you soon forgot. And the thing is, people don't remember the details, so they remember stories. And people want to be entertained. So I figured the bus should be as entertaining as the stories. So I took a bus, cut the top off of it, put a pitched roof, put in couches, saddles, recliners, uh, 13 disco balls, and a rubber chicken leading the way. And I took out all the windows on it, so it was open air. And so when you're driving this thing, and it looked like an old school bus, it looked like an old shack on wheels as we cruised down the street with sound effects and horns on the front. It was a community involvement art car that we gave tours in, and it was fantastically fun. I'm in Boulder, as you, and so definitely a memorable sight, and we still see the bus around town, but you seemed like you were having a lot of fun driving the bus, but it was 
I guess, the rest of the business that you didn't want to do anymore? You said that in 2014 you realized you couldn't do it anymore. And what was what was that moment? Uh, the moment really was driving back one evening after doing a bunch of tours. Uh, I might have done three or four tours in one day. Even though you're interacting with the audience, it's mostly a monologue. You're telling people stories. You're telling them where things are. And even if you have a dialogue with one or two people in the audience, you can't continue that because you'll exclude the other people in the bus. So therefore, it became a monologue of which you had to manage. So after doing um, six to eight hours of monologue for a day, I drove back and I thought, I can't do this. I feel like a performer. I now understand why performers turn to drugs and alcohol uh, because in order to do so, you need to be up. The problem with driving a 28,000-pound bus is you cannot be on drugs and alcohol. So you only have one option. You have to get out. Uh, that's why I sold. In 2014, I realized the I'd been doing it for 10 years at that point, nine and a half years. I realized that the... Um, the end was near. When you decided to sell, did you go looking for, you ended up selling to an employee. Was it hard to find acquirers? And also, did you have investors? Were you the the only owner? So um, I was the only owner. So I bootstrapped it myself because nobody would fund such a ridiculous project. So I bootstrapped it from the beginning and launched it. And it didn't take off for the first year. When I finally built it up and I looked for to, to sell it, I actually tried to sell it in 2011 through a business broker. And it is such a unique business that I realized I'm not going to sell it that way. And it didn't sell that way. So in 2011, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I was just testing the waters to see if I could actually get what I think it was worth. And the answer was no. In 2014, I approached an employee. I I gave him a fairly decent deal on it. And immediately he said yes. I would imagine you'd had some conversations before that where he had expressed some interest. No. So I took him to breakfast and we went out and I said, listen, I think I'm done doing this. Would you want to take this over? I threw out a price. He agreed immediately and said, "If as long as we get an SBA loan, we're good." Uh, came through with the loan, one hundred percent. Wow, I I have to tell you, I'm sure that's pretty rare in terms of business sales. The first buyer you go to says yes at the price that you want. So kudos, congratulations, that's amazing. So the sale part, like actually selling the business, was not painful. It sounds like it was a the transaction itself was fairly smooth from there on? No, it wasn't. No. Uh, oh. um, uh, there was definitely some things I stumbled upon. And we agreed in July that we'd uh, sell it to him on November 1st. And we did not close until April 20th. So it took a long time to actually get to that point, of which was strategic for him because that's our slow season. Why would you want to carry a business through the slow season? My lawyer that completely did not look out for my best interest is having clauses that the price would go up every month if he didn't close by November 1st. That's what we should have had in place. And we did. This business was so identified with you to the point where your friends call you Banjo, the name of the business. How was that? Like walking away from the business, like the, the immediate aftermath, was there relief or, or second thoughts? Did you splurge or celebrate? I was tempted to splurge. So I, I love that you asked that question because, uh, yes, I, I had a huge check, and I thought about going out and buying a new new fancy car. I actually looked at uh, looking at Austin Martins. 
Hmm. <laughs> I am nice. so glad I did not buy an Austin Martin. Why is that? It's a horrible investment. And uh, if I would have spent the money on an Austin Martin, the next two and a half years that I did not pull a paycheck would have been extremely difficult. So your senses came over you. You did not buy the Austin Martin. What did you do? I took the summer off and immediately I went to Moab with a bunch of friends and we celebrated and drank champagne for a weekend and had a fantastic time hiking. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I took the summer off, uh, played around quite a bit, was relieved not to be doing the tour gig. Uh, Then I started working on business plans probably by August of of that year. So four months later, I was working on another business plan. Did you feel like you had to jump into something new or were you bored? Why were you working on business plans? Because I was too young to retire. At, at the age of 46, I knew that I wanted to do something new. I knew I still had something to do. And that's one of the reasons I sold it. I sold it because I knew I didn't want to do banjo for the next 20 years or even the next 10 years. So tell us about the business plans that you were working on. Where did the ideas come from? And the first business plan I had at the same time that I came up with the idea for Banjo Billy's Bus Tours. It was in 1999. I was traveling around the world. I took a lot of tours. I came up with the idea of the bus tour through that traveling. Also, right before that, I was spending some time with Habitat for Humanity in Africa, of which I did a will. Throughout that will process, I started thinking about, well, how do I want to be buried. And I came up with this idea of, I want to just be put in the ground, no no casket. I just want to be wrapped in a shroud, put in the earth, buried over, no tombstone. And I found that there's no place you can do that. And that's where I came up with that idea. So I came up with an idea of a green cemetery. Found out that there are a few in the United States, 12 to be exact. And I thought that Boulder, Colorado could use a green cemetery. So for the next eight months, I did business plan on green cemeteries. It didn't go anywhere because it's incredibly expensive to get going. The zoning changes are about two hundred thousand uh, dollars. Land acquisition probably around five million dollars, especially in this area. So mm-hmm. to get that finance was almost impossible. It sounds like you were completely consumed by this business idea. Is that right? No, no. Um, I was floundering. To be quite honest, I, I, could, I had a hard time concentrating. I had a hard time figuring out how to push this. Bootstrap my last business. I was not used to convincing other people that my idea was a good idea. I was just used, used to making the decision. So when you have 10 years of just pulling the trigger yourself, and now you have to have buy-in from other people, that was difficult. So did you did you turn to other people for help with that? I did. I did. I had a um, built a whole business plan. I even had a graphic designer and a writer help me along with it. I networked as well, and it still had no traction. Yeah, people don't want to talk about that. <laughs> it's a transition, just like leaving your business. <laughs> I'm curious also, who were you now, now that you were not Banjo and you're working on this new thing? Who were you? My personal identity took a huge hit. I was a very minor celebrity in Boulder, but when I'd walk into a restaurant in Boulder for the last 10 years, I knew almost everybody in town. I would know somebody in every restaurant that I went into, and it was very nice. It was welcoming. It made the town feel smaller, and then everybody would start calling me Banjo, and they'd say, how's the business going? And I'd say, well, I sold it. It was hard. It was an identity change, of which I was welcome for the change because it felt a little bit hokey most of the time when people would call me Banjo, Mm -hmm. but I also kind of liked it. I liked both parts of uh, being known as kind of welcoming the anonymity, but I don't feel so much part of this community. When you did tell people that you sold it, 
What was what was the reaction? Uh, why? <laughs> I think that's the number one question. Why did you want out? How about congratulations? Was there any of that? Some. I think some of it was congratulations. Now what are you going to do? What's next? I think that was the other question of which I didn't have a solid answer. And then I would tell them about the cemetery thing. And it was so morose from going from such a fun product with a rubber chicken leading the way and disco balls to death, I think a lot of people could not see that. But I I can imagine also that when people were saying, why did you sell it, that, you know, when you are part of what they perceive their community to to be, and you have just changed that, they feel like they have a, a personal stake in it. And that's, that's an adjustment that they have to go through as well. Versus if you had a business that had nothing to do with other people or, or the environment they lived in. I don't know if, you, if that came through at all when you told people that you had sold. You know, I did. I, there was definitely some local people that helped me launch the business at the beginning that took me out to lunch and said, thank you. That was very heartwarming. I will never forget those, that, that lunch. That was, yeah, that's um, I didn't realize that I had touched people that way. You know, I had, I had something similar when I, I left my business last year. I had people thank me for starting it in the first place because I had brought people together. And I just thought that was surprising to be, to be thanked for it because you're just doing your business, right? You're just running your company and doing your job every day. Yes, exactly. So, so how did things change in terms of like people around you? I think you were in a relationship at the time. I don't know if there was like an impact of having this bit of a windfall. Yes. My relationships flourished probably for the first few months and then they started to diminish almost all of them. What do you mean by that? So my only thing that I could say is that I probably was changing and I probably was not as approachable as I used to be. So the only common denominator between all of those relationships is me. And my world got very small very quickly. Friends that I'd had for 15 years started not uh, calling as often. Plans would stretch out. So I felt like my life was getting very small very quickly. I didn't have the party bus anymore that I could take friends out and get people together. I didn't have that party planning feel anymore either. I was going on a different stage of my life. Sobering, um, Mm -hmm. sad, very sad. Um, At the same time, I was relieved I didn't have to tell the same stories over and over. I am so sorry to hear that. That's hard. You also had a girlfriend at the time. What was the dynamic there? So my girlfriend was very supportive, very supportive for me selling and also supporting me trying something new with the Green Cemetery. She was incredibly kind and willing to let me be me. What the problem was, was me not willing to be me. It was hard to get up in the morning when you didn't have somewhere to go. You did not have a deadline. You didn't have customers waiting. You didn't have a project per se that you had to get completed by the end of the week. It was hard getting out of bed. It was hard. Uh, my self-respect was, was waning, and she could see that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very unattractive in a partner. And then I, mm-hmm. I saw that she saw that was unattractive, and it became a, a spiral. So you can draw a direct line with that being the end of your relationship. I don't think it's the only thing. Definitely did not help. It consumed a lot of my mind share of where am I, where do I belong in this world? I did not know anybody else that had sold. Financially, I was sound. And so to complain, everybody would say, well, do you need to work? And I was like, no, not really. And they're like, well, what are you complaining about? Just enjoy it. And yet it was really hard to enjoy. 
a lot of people don't realize that they are not alone in this. And that's part of it too, because the feedback you get, like you did, from your friends saying, why aren't you enjoying this? Why aren't you happy? This is great. And I think that can compound it sometimes. You feel like nobody is understanding and you don't have a right to feel the way you do. And I don't know if that was playing out for you at all. It was absolutely playing out for me. I I had nowhere to to actually talk to you because you feel like, well, I did well with the business. I sold the business and you have no right to complain. And yet Mm -hmm. (laughs) my identity was in limbo. My financial future, I didn't know how much money I could spend. I didn't know how long I was going to be unemployed. I didn't know when the next paycheck was coming. So I lived below my means, which Mm -hmm. was also a shock to the system. And also, that seems a little unfair. You built this business, you sold it, you shouldn't have to live below your means, right? So on that, I want to back up a little and deepen the context. I somehow have the impression, and you may have told me this before, that you had second thoughts about selling it. Oh, geez. Uh, so we agreed to sell in June of, uh, sorry, July of 2014. I approached my employee. He agreed to buy it. In February of that year, the sale had not gone through, at which point I woke up in the, in the middle of the night, sat up in bed, and there was a voice inside my head as loud as any voice I've heard, and I've heard it a couple of times, and it said, do not sell. Do not sell. And I ignored it because I said, I gave this man my word. I will mm-hmm. stand on my word, and I'll go through the sale. Yeah. And for the next two years after that, that evening, and I will always remember that evening of waking mm-hmm. up in bed and hearing that voice, do not sell. Wow. Did it sound like did it sound like your girlfriend's voice? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it was a voice outside of myself. I've heard it a few times. One time I listened to it, and it mm-hmm. served me very well. Um, the other mm-hmm. time, this time, I did not listen to it, and it's it's a very different voice. I, I don't know if you've heard that from other people. Yeah, I mean, people do have second thoughts for a number of reasons. You know. Some of it is just basic, like, should they have held out for a bigger deal? Sometimes they're just really missing the business. It was a big part of who they were. So when that stayed with you, like, how do you interpret that do not sell? I had agreed to sell because I had a feeling that I couldn't do it any, anymore. But I mm-hmm. also think there was a level of immaturity when I did sell that did not value the amount of money that I was making. I I had gotten used to it, the amount of freedom that I had, and Mm -hmm. also the amount of time I had off. I had a tremendous amount of time off to go do things in life that people rarely have a chance to do. And I traded those in for not having to tell the same story over and over. Right. I mean, there's something to be said. What What kind of schedule did you have before? What kind of time off? I guess you had winters off? There weren't as many tours in the winters? So from November through April was pretty quiet. So I had a lot of time to ski, and I had multiple ski passes. I'd ski multiple times during the midweek, never skied weekends. I had plenty of time to travel internationally. I had money to take people with me traveling internationally, Mm -hmm. and that has since disappeared. I still have money to do so. I don't have the time to do so. Given that context, did you think about buying it back? Yes, but I could never see. I could never really see myself writing that check. Mm. I just can't see myself writing a check to go back to something that I had built myself. Yeah, because it was just it was done. Once it was done, it was done. That kind of thing. Correct. This whole experience is very challenging. Can be very challenging. 
after the Green Cemetery and to where you're at, you are now, which is, you know, and you can talk about it with a, you know, full-time gig and also a really exciting venture on the side that you're exploring. But but how how did you get to this point? So after the Green Cemetery, I thought, well, there's got to be another. That was only one failure. Come on, I can try again. Don't don't give up. So I tried another business. Then I tried a product development business for consumer products. I hired a a uh, great staff of engineers, and we worked on it for for six months. One thing that I learned about product development, it's best done on a corporate budget with deep pockets. Uh, product <laughs> development is extremely expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. We ran into some IP at the very end that did not allow us to go forward. We had some IP problems that we knew would get sued by mm-hmm. by a very large local co- corporation that they would notice us immediately. So mm-hmm. at that point, we couldn't get around the IP, and after a year of product development, and we did our, our legwork ahead of time, and we still ran into IP problems. And one thing I learned about patents are if you're going into a big area, you will get sued. You will have to have that money into your back pocket to pay for it. Because mm-hmm. if you're launching a new product, especially if it's novel, somebody's going to come after you and sue you. Because of the way patents have been written over the last 20 years, some are very vague. Yeah. And, and you will have a patent, a patent fight in your hands. And I knew I didn't have that deep of pockets for an unproven product. So yeah. I disbanded that, that gig. And this year I started up with a new multinational company. I'm one of 32,000 employees. <laughs> I have an office that I go to yeah. from yeah. 8 till 5. And it's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what's fantastic about it. I love working with other people. I love working with smart other people with a common goal. I love that we have a product to sell today and we're not in development. That must be a shift though, right? I mean, this is the first time you've worked for anybody in, I don't know, 15 years or something? About that, 15 years. Since 2004 is the last time I worked for somebody. So. And what, what were you doing then? Uh, I was working at the... Uh, evil empire called Equifax and okay. uh, doing database modeling, uh, predictive and descriptive modeling. I had a very good career there. Uh, I could have parlayed that into big data as we all know big data exploded since 2004. And I launched into a, something completely different with Banjo Billy's Bus Tours and a lot of people thought I was an idiot for doing so. Um, and I have no regrets on that I ever did that. So did you think of going back into that that field after after the sale? I, I did. I actually applied for a few positions with my old company and could not get an interview, which hmm. was a shot, was a blow to the ego. Why do you think that was? I'd been out of the industry for too long, and the industry had changed and morphed so much. I was no longer viewed as being current in the, in the subject mm-hmm. matter. That must have been difficult. I guess you just said it was a shock to the system. What do you wish you'd done differently in terms of like going into this post- exit phase? I would have gotten some counseling. I should have talked to some other people more. Mm -hmm. I did go to a therapist a few times, but it wasn't enough. And I probably should have done that before I sold. So I would have been incredibly clear on why I sold and happy with what I was giving up. Instead of doing it on postmortem, do it up front. That's what I would have done. That's interesting. I had forgotten. I had an experience where I was on the fence about selling it. And my therapist said, Laura, I don't want you to to do anything you'd regret, or I don't want you to have regrets or something like that. And of course it was my decision, but I had no idea if she was saying, don't regret selling it or don't regret not selling it. <laughs> so I'm not sure that my therapy would, would be any model for 
whether that's going to be helpful. Thank you for the relief. Maybe therapy <laughs> wouldn't have helped either way. At the end of the day, I think people that I've talked to when we're done, I think yeah. we have to move on. That's right. I agree with that. I agree with that. There is usually there is usually a factor of burnout, but I think that that is why there can be, like you were saying, like you feel like there's a little bit of immaturity involved. I would actually cast that more as like maybe a little more emotion and maybe maybe that's the same thing in a way. And I'm not sure if that's what you meant, but I, I think that burnout can lead to kind of these more emotional decisions. It's really hard not to have an emotional decision when there's something like you created from scratch and it's your baby. Yes, and I still see that baby driving around town and most yeah. of the time nowadays, I'm glad it's not mine. But for a while, that must have been really weird. The bus drives by my house in Boulder twice a day during the summer. Wow. Could you ask them not to do that? <laughs> I could, but it's the route, and I'm the one that drove. The, I'm the one that picked the route, and I'm the one that moved into the house. So there you go. You did a great talk at Ignite a bunch of years ago. You said was action plus commitment tempers fear, ego, and greed. I, so I wonder if that plays out in your life now, or if that if that was like a tenet that drove things for you during the transition. I haven't thought of that in a in very long time, and and. That brings up some memories of where am I at now? There's a little but the fear has probably gained more traction. Uh, my action, um, I'm willing to take action. You know, how, what's my commitment level on a new, new venture? The fear is winning, I think. The failure mm-hmm. of two ventures in a row makes me doubt myself. Yes, mm-hmm. that is correct. I've heard from a lot of people who have sold their businesses that they're, they have this expectation for themselves that because they've had an exit, they feel like they have to, everything they do from then on out is measured against that. And so it has to be a success. These businesses that you called failures in a life before Banjo, I wonder if you would have seen it that way or if you would have seen it like I, I tried, I explored these ideas and took them as far as they went. Well, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> I like that better. <laughs> That's much nicer than what I actually say to myself. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. I wish I, I wish I could say that. I wish I had your uh, your narrative inside my head rather than no, you failed twice. Um, go join on with a successful group. I'll send um, you. I'll send you the clip. You can play it over and over again. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and it'll be in your head. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit Club. If you liked the interview as much as I did, please be sure to subscribe to the show to hear more. If you're already a subscriber, please take a moment to leave a review or rating on iTunes or Google Play. The Exit Club is a new show powered by Fratsky Media, and every review and rating counts. Thanks again for listening. I'm Laura Rich.